I've been asked to speak on the basics of discipleship or in discipleship, but it's the basics. I'd like you to turn to your Bibles to Matthew, and I'm reading from the Living Bible, Matthew 7, 24 to 25, telling about the two foundations. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell and great was the fall of it. Let me ask you a question. On what foundations have you built your life? Is it the rock? Or is it sand? I feel quite a freedom this morning, really. I'm not usually up in front. I'm usually man to man. But... um, you see, I'm a dying man. I'm 63 years of age. I've only got seven years to go to the three score year and ten. And time's getting short for me. So what I say this morning, I trust will count for eternity. And the things I say, I really want to encourage you. And to encourage you, I feel a liberty. Uh, as I ask you a question, I might ask myself that question. And also girls, I mention the word men, I also mean ladies too. The basics. What does the word basic mean? It means the foundations or the essentials. A foundation is something to build upon. Something that should be there permanently. And every house needs a solid foundation, and foundations take time to build, as Ray was saying. Look it up sometime in 1 Kings chapter 5 and chapter 6. As they were building the temple, they took a lot of time to lay the foundations. They had great stones, costly stones. They had stone squares. They took much time and care in laying the foundations. And the foundation is what the house is built upon. And what holds the house together? And if the foundation is taken away, surely the house will collapse. And in the Christian life, it's the basics that hold the Christian life together. And these same basics are necessary in every life that's a disciple right up to the president. The same basics. I trust he's strong in in the basics. I'm sure he is. Our dear president. And if these basics are taken away in the Christian life, the Christian life will surely collapse. Psalm 11.3 says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? What can the righteous do? I'm going to mention the wheel once or twice this morning in the talk. You hear some funny things at the meal table, don't you? 
first of all, a fellow sat down by me this morning. I didn't know him. He said, I think it's okay to sit down by you this morning, Jack. I've already had my quiet time. <laughs> Another fellow told me he was having time with a fellow this morning. He said, I've just come to the realisation there's something missing in my life. The world is Mr. Holder. The wheel has been my life and ministry. That's the first thing Gabby Glockman, my spiritual father, shared with me. Well, as I think of the basics in the Christian life, I immediately think of the wheel illustration. It's a pity we haven't got the wheel up here, John, somewhere. Never mind, we would have had to cut it off that sign. <laughs> and the wheel illustration shows us how to live a Christ-centered Spirit-filled, well-balanced, fruitful, obedient Christian life. And as every part of the wheel is built deeper into our lives and is operating, the hub, which is Christ, gets bigger, the spokes become more thicker, and the rim gets more solid. I'd like to repeat that my whole life and ministry has been tied up with the wheel illustration. I'm a wheeler dealer. In the navigator ministry, we're sometimes inclined to think that the basic is just the wheel illustration, really, in the word hand, the prayer hand, the bridge, etc. But surely, we should know that these illustrations are only the means, really, by which we can convey the spiritual truths necessary for our Christian growth. But the end objective should be to know Christ, shouldn't it? And to make him known. It should be carrying out the commands of Peter in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And we should be being conformed into the image of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. But don't forget, we also seek to build on the foundation of the life of every believer a structure which will endure to the glory of God. But we're not talking about structures this morning. We're talking about foundations. So this morning, I just got before the Lord when I accidentally heard I had to take this message. And I thought, Lord, how many basics will I share? What's the perfect number? Seven. Okay, so this morning I want to share with you what I consider to be the seven main basics or essentials that should be built into the life of every disciple maker so they in turn can reproduce them in the life of every disciple they are making who in turn can do likewise. And I really mean built in, not just tacked on. Yes, Ray, it takes a long time, doesn't it, to know these truths. I'm just beginning to learn some of them myself. And people, you can only reproduce after your own kind. What you are, you reproduce. Paul said this in Philippians 4.9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, 
and the God of peace shall be with you. But you know, you can no more lay solid foundations in the lives of others that are only sketchy outlines in your own. We reproduce what we are. And I think the question we all should ask ourselves, am I reproducing? Not am I producing, but am I reproducing? Is my disciple making disciples, etc.? In 2 Timothy 2.2, which is the basic verse in Navigators, there are four generations. How many generations do each one of us have? You might have spiritual children, but where's your spiritual grandchildren? Where's your spiritual great-grandchildren? I remember Joe Simmons told me when Dawson Trotman had a ministry in his life. He said, Dawson, Dawson said to Joe, when you go out of the ministry, it'll be good to hear about your um, spiritual children, but I'll be more interested in your spiritual great-grandchildren. And then, Joe, I'll know you're getting on with the job. Am I reproducing? Approximately eight or ten years ago, God allowed these same basics, which I'm going to speak about this morning, to be built into the life of five men who we had contact with in Sydney. They responded faithfully, underline the word faithfully, and after a while, and many grey hairs, they began to reproduce. And this is how the Navigator work first started in Australia. Now I'm reminded of the verse in Job 8 and 7. Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should greatly increase. Also, these same basics were used four years ago to start the Shamgar program and ministry in Sydney, which is really being blessed of the Lord. And they are still being used as we continue to see disciples made and disciple makers develop. And I'd like to make it very clear that this is not a comprehensive or exhaustive talk on the basics. I'm only scratching the surface. For each basic could be a message in itself. I'm just reminding you of some of the old truths. You've heard these things, some of you, a dozen or more times. In 2 Peter 1, 12, don't look it up, I'll read it to you. Peter was telling the dear people there, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Verse 13, Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. And I hope the Holy Spirit of God will stir us up this morning on these simple truths. Verse 15, Moreover, I will endeavour that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. And when I go home to see the Lord, I hope you dear people will always be in remembrance of the basics, of the basics. Paul 
had a ministry in Timothy's life. He's son of the Lord for about 20 years. And after 20 years, in 2 Timothy, Paul was still reminding Timothy of the basics. Isaiah 28.10 in the Living Bible says, he tells us everything over and over again, a line at a time, and in such simple words. When I used to go out and see John Ridgway and Graham French out of the university there in the early days, and tell them the same things over and over again, they'd say to themselves, oh no, not again. We've heard that five or six times. But John confessed to me the other day, Jack, he said, I'm pleased you to tell those things over and over again because we really got the message. Your blokes were difficult, really. <laughs> so we must constantly check to see if the basics are remaining strong in our lives. And remember that these basics as found in the wheel illustration are all focused on Jesus Christ at the centre. Jesus Christ, the solid rock. For Jesus said in John 15, 5, for out me, you can do nothing. But I want to sound a word of warning to some of you young people coming up. I'd like you to take a note of a verse I have here. Proverbs 22, 28. By the way, May and myself ministry has always been centred around young people. Strange as it might seem, before we were converted, we had young people around us. We still have young people around us, so we get some idea of what young people are thinking. But Proverbs 22, 28 says, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Some of your fathers, like dear old Joe, Dawson Trotman, and Lorne, have set some landmarks. Be very careful before you move them, will you? Before you shot the wheel out, and the word hand, and the prayer hand, etc. Don't shot the baby out with the bathwater. Don't kill the goose that laid the golden egg. You see, Dawson Trotman was very strong in the basics, wasn't he? You've only got to read his book, Doors, and speak to men that knew him. Lorne Sanny is very strong in the basics. I've been fortunate to have some good talks with Lorne on the basics. And I don't know anybody that's stronger in the basics than Joe Simmons. And Joe, I praise God for the ministry you've had in my life over the last 14 years. It wasn't by accident we met there in 1962. It was of the Lord. And Joe has always encouraged me to keep strong in the basics and to major in the basics. So I thank you, Joe. Most other NAV leaders I know are also strong in the basics. But what I'm warning you and encouraging you young people is keep strong in the basics, remain strong in the basics, and keep growing in the basics. All right, the seven main basics or essentials. I won't give you a guess what the first one is. That comes about third. (laughs) 
the first main basic or essential that should be in the life of a disciple maker is the assurance of salvation. Wherever I travel, no matter what country it is, there is one thing that stands out more than anything else is the lack of assurance of salvation. We don't query people's assurance. It's a wonderful thing to know that you have eternal life in Jesus Christ. I had no trouble right from the very beginning. I sat, May and I sat in a Billy Graham crusade for 28 nights. So by the time the 28th day was finished, we had some idea through the word of God that Jesus lived in our hearts and we had eternal life. Can we know for sure we have eternal life? Of course we can. 1 John 5, 13. John said, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. A Christian is one in whom Jesus Christ dwells. Paul was always talking about this. Over in Colossians 1.7, he said, The secret is simply this. Christ in you, yes, Christ in you, bringing within the hope of all the glorious things to come. So naturally, we proclaim Christ. Galatians 2.20, It's not I that live, said Paul, but it's Christ that lives within me. And there's a Chinese proverb that says, To commence a journey of a thousand miles, you must take the first step. And the Bible tells us the first step in becoming a Christian is to invite Jesus Christ to come into your life. The three verses which you know so well that I normally use in counseling anybody on their assurance is John 1 and 12, Revelation 3.20 and 1 John 5.11 and 12. Maybe you're right to those we lead to the Lord, but what about those we pick up in the ministry is adopted into our ministry? We should just graciously make sure they have a Bible-based assurance. I'm going to ask you to do something in a minute that we do in the Shamgar training program. These are ordinary church members we ask to do this. But boy, you're the cream of Australia, so you'll have no problem when I ask you this question. I want you to write down the date you were born, just the date you're fitting, you know, me, 1st of October. 1912, what date were you born? Put it down. In John 3, 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I really believe, and I might be out on a limb here, but I really believe with all my heart if we can pinpoint a, 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 a time where we were born physically, we should be able to pinpoint a time when we were born spiritually by the Spirit of God. The day Jesus Christ came into our hearts and lives. So I'm going to ask you, as best you can, put down the date that you were reborn, the date you invited Jesus Christ to come in. Try and put a day a month and a year. If you can't put a day, a month and a year, put a month and a year. If you can't put a month and a year, put a year. If you can't put a year, put something down. 
Boy, the devil's really going to have a go at you. Well, maybe you'd like to put down the date when you came into the assurance of your salvation, and that will do. That will do. And the reason why I'm asking you to do this is, you know the devil sows seeds of doubts, doesn't he, in every life. That's how he first started in the Garden of Eden with Eve. And when the pressures of life come, and they haven't already come, wait, they'll come. They'll come. Yeah, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Shall look for it. They're the days when the Satan puts doubts in your mind. But if you've got that just inked in, you can say, listen, Satan, on the 12th of April, 1959, I invited Jesus Christ to come into my heart and life. I received forgiveness of sins and eternal life in Christ. And he that lives within me is greater than the one that lives in the world. Now, it may be, and I've learned to take nothing for granted, there may be one or two here that are not just sure about this point. Well, let me ask you, would you make sure? You might like to settle as you get out by yourself and settle this thing. I've been able to counsel many people on this, and what a joy is flood of their soul. You know the one thing that's going to stop you doing if you're not sure? That's right, Ray, pride. And don't let pride come in. Pride should be nailed to the cross afresh every morning. I'm talking about my own life. But pin it down. Make sure. Take nothing for granted in your ministry. You see, proper growth can only stem from the Christian knowing for sure that he is a child of God for eternity. And of course, eternal life is in Jesus Christ. The second main basic or essential that should be in the life of a disciple maker is the Lordship of Christ. Luke 2.11 For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour which is Christ the Lord. That's who he is, the Lord. Over in Acts 9 Paul on the road to Damascus when he met the risen and resurrected Christ the first thing he said Who art thou, Lord? And the second question is, Lord, what do you want me to do? Joe taught me a story of two girls, two schoolgirls that came home one day, said to their mum, where's dad? He had a day off from work. Oh, he's in the back room lying down, just resting. So the good two girls raced into the back room. The elder got there first, of course, put both arms around dad and gave him a big cuddle. She looked at the little one. She said, I have all there is of daddy. And this made the little one sad. She dropped the lip, nearly cried, and Daddy noticed this and got an arm loose, beckoned the little one to come round by the side, and he put his arm right round her and gave her a good cuddle. And the little one was very pleased, and she looked up into the face of the big one. She said, you might have all there is of Daddy, but Daddy has all there is of me. And that's what it's like in the Christian life. When we invite Jesus into our hearts and lives, we can get all there is of him. But has he got all there is of us? We make him Lord by decision and we make him Lord in practice day by day. And once you've decided to make Christ Lord of your life, you will prove that he is Lord as you submit to him hour by hour and obey him in the daily affairs of life. Luke 6.46, Jesus said, 
And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? The verse has been used quite a bit by Doug, Luke 9.23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, giving up all right to yourself, dying to self daily. You see, in all Christians, Christ is present, isn't he? In some Christians, Christ is prominent. But only in a few Christians is Christ preeminent. And that's what Colossians 1.18 tells us. Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Christ not only wants to be resident in our life, he wants to be president. And we should give him the same place in our hearts and lives he holds in the universe. Lord, Master, King, Creator. For me, in my quiet time each morning, John 3.30 is a big help to me. Lord, you must increase and I must decrease. For some of you, a verse like Isaiah 6.8 I know has been helpful. Lord, here am I. Send me. And I think we all should be able to say, everyone in this room, because of who you are, Lord, I'm willing to be what you want me to be. I'm willing to do what you want me to do. I'm willing to say what you want me to say. And I'm willing to go where you want me to go. Are you willing to say, I'm willing to go, Lord, wherever you want me to go? Or you may want to go to the Gold Coast in Brisbane or the holiday resort in Adelaide and praise God for them. What a wonderful ministry we're going to have in Brisbane. What a wonderful ministry we've got in Adelaide. And that's good. But what about Africa? Pretty tough over there with Marv and Georgette. What about Indonesia? We've been there a couple of times. It's pretty tough up there. Are you willing to go there for the Lord? There's countless thousands up there have never heard the word of Christ. Well, what about India? With John? You see, in salvation it cost Christ his life. And for you to be a disciple maker, it's going to cost you your life. My life verse is Isaiah 43, 4. Since thou hast been precious in my sight, thou hast been honourable, and I have loved thee, therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. I like to say to the Lord, continue, Lord, you've got my life. Will you give me men? And he's faithful, and he gives me men. I'd like to ask you a question. When you die, will you just leave behind you all your busy activities? Or men? Or men? Luke 14, 33. So likewise, said Jesus, whose have he be of you that forsaken not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. A willingness to renounce all other loyalties and preference to Jesus Christ. And now, hold tight. The third main basis, or essential, that should be in the life of every disciple maker, is a daily quiet time. Time alone with God. What's the first thing that we usually let go when we get extra busy? Our quiet time. 
Luke 10, 38 to 42 tells the story of Mary and Martha. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing his words, no doubt talking back to him. Martha, the sister, was very concerned about it, says to the Lord, will you tell Mary to come and help me? And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, and it will not be taken away. But what was she doing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing his word, no doubt talking back to him. And this should be number one priority in all our lives. This was the first passage of scripture that Bob Lochner shared with me. He said, Jack, you're a very busy businessman. You're a very busy churchman. I want to ask you a personal question. How's your quiet time? You wonder why I'm a fanatic of this. You should have heard Glockner. Matthew 6, 33 again. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Well, to do this, we need some personal discipline in our life. Some personal discipline. Ezra 7 and 10 in the birthday says, For Ezra had disciplined himself to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, and to teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. Daniel and Daniel 1.8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. And we need to purpose in our heart. But you know, victory only comes through determination and discipline. Really it does. A lot of people say that old Jack, boy, he's a hardliner. Friends, I've got to be a hardliner. We're not in a Sunday school picnic, we're in a battle. For 47 years, I lived within the precincts of five or six churches. Not once did I hear the gospel. The first day I heard the word of God preached, it made sense to me. And I came under conviction of sin. And I found joy and peace, forgiveness, and eternal life in Christ. And there's many thousands and thousands of Jacks and May Griffins about. So the thing is really urgent. Hudson Taylor, the founder of the China Inland Mission, once said, a man can be dedicated, consecrated, and devoted, but unless his life is disciplined, he's of very little use. For the Lord. Very little use for the Lord. A disciple is a disciplined one. I know we've learned the disciple is a learner, but he's also a disciplined one. And the challenge to me is from Song of Solomon's 1 6. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. How's your vineyard? And Dawson Trotman said, Don't get so involved in the work of the kingdom that you don't have any time for the king. I could take the balance of the time here and just speak on quiet time. Why should we have a quiet time? Well, there are many reasons. But the main reason that I see is in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Second Peter 3 a.m. again, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and being conformed to the image of Christ. That's why we should have a daily quiet time. And to get to know someone, 
You must spend time with them. After 45 years of married life or roundabout, I just forget. I'm just getting to know, mate. But you get like one another, don't you? You really do. All right, hold tight now. Hold tight. Really, put your seatbelts on. The passage is going to start and get a bit rough for the next couple of minutes. When should we have a quiet time? Boy, if you don't hate me now, you'll hate me after this. Well, the Bible tells us we can have it various times and keep having it various times. May and I have it various times. However, most of us won't get it worked in unless we have it the first part or the beginning of each day. And Jesus Christ set the example in Mark 135. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And if it was necessary for my Lord and Saviour to do this, to have time with his Father, it's all the more necessary for me and for you. Hands up those that have ever been to a concert. Oh, tremendous. Could somebody please tell me when they tune the orchestra up? Before, not afterwards. Okay. Before the concert, let us get our spiritual instruments tuned up early before the concert of the day begins. Why? Well, Mark 4.19 says, And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. All right, hold tighter still. Let me tell you the thing that helped me in this. I was asked to make a covenant with the Lord a long, long while ago. No Bible, no breakfast. And that took some doing. And I can hear one or two of the theology college students here saying, that's not scriptural, isn't it? I think it is. Because I can make a verse of scripture fit that. <laughs> Job 23.12 says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job esteemed God's word more than his necessary food. And I'm sure when I go to meet the Lord and I see old Job standing there at the corner of Hallelujah Street and plays the Lord corner, I'll say, Job, did you make that covenant? No Bible, no breakfast? And I'm sure he's going to say, sure I did, Jack. Sure I did. Now, I'm going to ask, if you haven't already done it, for each one of you people to make I've covered with the Lord tonight before you go to bed and get down on your knees, not standing up, but down on your knees. That's our rightful place before the Lord in this type of thing. Lord, from now on, it's going to be no Bible, no breakfast, as far as I'm concerned. I only say this because it will help you. It really will. And the one thing, again, that's going to stop you doing this is what? Pride, that's right. There's men in this room, if I 
like to name them, get them to stand up, they could testify. They've done this over the last week. And it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been easy. And I know what it's meant in my life, what it's meant in so many other lives, and take a note of a scripture reference, Ecclesiastes 5, 4 and 5. Please do not make this vow if you can't keep it or you don't intend to keep it. It's a big thing. And if you do it, tell somebody about it. This will help you. And I want to tell you that every man that I know personally, or every man I've ever read about, that has ever been used mightily for the Lord, has had this one main basic or essential in their life. An early morning quiet time with the Lord. Rising at four or five o'clock, well before the day begins. Meeting with God before they met with man. I was just reading in a Christian magazine the other day about John Wesley. At the age of 85, somebody asked him, John, what's been the secret of your spiritual maturity over these many, many years? Do you know what he said? He said, for the last 60 years, 60 years, I've been getting up at 4 o'clock every morning to meet with the Lord. How about that? I hope that challenged it, challenged me. All right, out with the pens again. Here comes another $64 question. I'm not going to ask you to give me your answers. The Lord will know what you put down. The question I want to ask you in all liberty which is much grace, which I haven't got. How many early morning quiet times have you missed over the last 28 days? Put down a figure, will you please? How many early morning quiet times have you missed over the last 28 days? Now just think. Well, if there's any... You've just got to work that out before the Lord. And if you're having problem in this area, think about making that covenant and don't treat it lightly. It changed the course of my Christian life and it's changed the course of so many other lives that I know of. You see, victory at 6 a.m. is one at 10 p.m. the night before. Psalm 127.2 in the Berkeley says, It is useless for you to be early in rising while being late and sitting up eating the bread of toil for he gives his loved ones sleep and you can't go to bed like a 20th century Christian and wake up like a 1st century Christian I don't think I'll be asked next year to speak <laughs> alright three verses that you should learn that will help you to get up immediately when your alarm clock goes off three verses I had an appointment with a man this morning at 8 o'clock for breakfast. At half past 8, he still wasn't there. He hadn't learnt the little thing that we learnt in the early days, Ray. You know, the bus to heaven goes at 8 o'clock. Not one minute past. And I'd like to see a bit more punctuality in our ministries in Sydney. Only, only ministry I know. Dear old Chuck says, we'll meet at 9 o'clock. They're still strolling in at 9.15. So you know, that all things be done decently in order. All right, a couple of verses. It'll help, three verses that'll help you. First one, Proverbs twenty thirteen. Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. 
Open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. Proverbs 6, 9. How long will thou sleep, O sluggard? <laughs> when wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? This young man that had to meet me at 8 o'clock this morning, I said, what happened? Oh, he said, I, I, I woke up at 7 o'clock, and he said, I just put my head back on the pillar, and I, I, I went to sleep again. All right, I'll tell you how he went to sleep again. It's the next verse, Proverbs 26, 14. 26, 14. I want you really to listen, underline this verse, learn it. As the door turneth upon his hinges, so does the slothful upon his bed. <laughs> what happens when you wake up and you want to have just a couple more minutes? The old devil shakes the bed like a cradle. <laughs> oh, you people laugh, but boy, it's serious. It's serious. So, and also, please, don't commit the unpardonable sin, as far as I'm concerned, in your quiet time. Please do not have a quiet time in bed. <laughs> So what you've got to do is this, if you're taken out of it. You wake up. You get up. You wash up. You dress up. And then you shape up to your quiet time. The fourth main basic or essential, that should be in the life of a disciple maker. I can't get any more on that quiet time. I feel a fit coming on. <laughs> the fourth main basic or essential that should be in the life of the supper maker is the firm grip on the Word of God. And this is the foundational spoke in the wheel. Ephesians 6.17 says, And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Song of Solomon 3.8. This is one of Chuck Stripmatter's favourite verses. Every navigator should know this verse. They all hold swords being expert in war. Every man has his sword upon his thigh because of fear in the night. John 8.31 Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And to continue in means to persist in, to be diligent in, and to persist in, persevere, be diligent, and so forth. And a DM, a disciple maker, really should have a fir good, firm, five-fingered grip on the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Just let me remind you once again, just quickly, the word hand that you know so well that I know you're all sharing with other people. You don't want to hear it again, but just once again, the thumb, which is the nearest to me, is meditation, reflective thinking with a view to application. The hearing, are you taking notes in your services? Are you? This will set your pastor on fire, right? And try and sit down the front, will you? Isn't marvelous how we congregate at the back? All right, the reading. Are you still using the daily Bible reading calendar 
Or is that too much old hat for you now? You've done it about six or eight times. I was very fortunate. Joe Simmons gave me a Dali Bible reading Carl in 1962. That's 14 years ago. I'm still on it. For all scripture is inspired by God. Do you expect your disciple that you're making to be on the daily Bible reading calendar? Of course you do. Are you on it? Well, do the things that you're trying to build into another life, as Doug said yesterday. What about study? What about the personal applications? Are you going back and reviewing the personal applications to see how they went? Or are you just making out new ones next week or next fortnight? What about memorise? Boy, I'd love to have about an hour to encourage you on scripture memory. But I haven't got it. Don't forget it's the strongest finger and we, if possible, with proper review and meditation, can have 100%. And as I get about, I hear that so many people when they finish the TMS go wrong because the new TMS guidebooks don't really spell it out like the old TMS guidebooks. But let me tell you what we do. bit old hat but it works, and it's been working for years. We put our verses in biblical order, which is a big help. We put them in biblical order. We also try to learn a verse for every book of the Bible, which is also a help, which also a help. And just a couple of other things that help strive for word perfection in your scripture memory, that all things be done decently in order, says 1 Corinthians 14.40. And if you miss out on a verse, once you've had a go at it a couple of times in your daily back review, put it out, it's rusty. Put it back in your current review. Don't have any verses that are rusty. Maybe in the meeting this morning, there's one of my Shamgar team, I see him sitting up there when he come for me four years ago, I spoke to him on this. I said, have you got any rusty verses? He said, I have. I said, well, take them all out, will you? He said, I have to take 80% of my verses out. <laughs> I said, take them out, don't learn any more. And after about three years, he's back on the rails again. And he's one of the best men I know now on Scripture memory. Don't have any rusty verses. Would you do your daily back review daily? And would you do your current review daily? Tighten your seatbelts. Here it comes. So many of us intend to do our daily back review daily, but the busyness of the world comes in. So I'm going to give you a secret how to do it. I've been able to apply this to my life over quite a time. We do it with the Shamgar team and other people. Feed your daily back review and your current review in your quiet time of the morning. And not only in your quiet time, but in the first part of your quiet time to make sure that you get it in. And you might say to me, Jack, that means I've got to extend my quiet time another 10 or 15 minutes. That's just exactly what I'm telling you to do. Another 10 or 15 minutes in your quiet time. If you can get your daily back review and current in, lunchtime, you're going to do it again. And also, try and say your verses out aloud to somebody. I know this is hard, but so many of you live in flats and colleges. Just purpose in your heart to do it. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. And last point on scripture memory. I've got a personal crusade on in Australia. 
regarding his last point. Will you please put topics on your verses? It's the peg that you hang your verse on. What sort of a memory system is it? Good. A topic of memory system. And don't limit yourself to your topics. I've got hundreds of topics. I'd make you smile if I told you some of my topics, but it's the topic that brings to my remembrance so many things. All right? Have a topic on each verse, not as directed by Jack Griffin, but as directed by the TMS guidebooks. That's your authority, not me. I hope those of you who are doing your TMS and have finished, you have read your guidebooks. So many of us forget to read the guidebooks. All right, that's the memory finger. And don't forget, the thumb touches all the four fingers. We need really to meditate on all these four intakes taken in that we might be do as the word, not hear as only. Let me suggest also a couple of little things we do in Shamgar. Put the word hand on a little card, verse card, and everything that's on it, and put it in your, in with your verses, and review it now and then. And review it now and then. Talking about the word, I won't ask for shower hands, but we all should know the books of the Bible, shouldn't we? Of course we should. The one that usually stops us is the 12 down on the Minor Prophets. I have man to man with pastors. Had a dear pastor, has been five years in the theological college the other day. He's been about 10 years in the ministry. And I thought, well, I'll ask him the $64 question. I said, John, you know the books of the Bible, don't you? Oh, yes, sir, Jack. Oh, you know. <laughs> Okay, John, say them. <laughs> well, what a terrible mess he made. <laughs> so he got an assignment. Before he meets with me again, he writes out his books for the Old Testament of verse card. He writes out his books for the New Testament of verse card. And he learns them. And when he knows them, he sees me again. All right, just remember that the future is as bright as the promises of God and the challenge is, are we really continuing to know and believe and claim the promises of God? Fifth main basic of essential that should be in the life of a disciple maker is a well-balanced prayer life. Thank you for your talk, Ray, on the word of prayer again the other day. Tremendous. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. A disciple maker must have a consistent prayer life. And prayer is just, it's simply conversing with God. And don't forget the prayer spoke in the wheel lies opposite the words spoke. And it really plays a balancing role with the word in the Christian life. And if you look at that wheel, the word spoke and the prayer spoke the same length. We have plenty of time in Bible study, Bible reading, Scripture memory, do we spend as much time in prayer? Do we? If we don't, we've pushed Christ out of the centre. And when that wheel goes round, we go up and down like a yo-yo. I just challenge you because I'm challenged in my own life. As Ray was trying to tell us the other morning, we don't spend enough time in prayer. People say to me, as Joe said the other day, 
Jack, which is the most important? The word or the prayer? And as Joe said, well, which is the most important wing in the bird? Well, they're both important, but they must be in balance. And if you're weak in prayer, get yourself a prayer buddy. This will really help. You know, Proverbs 27, 17, Iron sharpeneth thine, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10, two are better than one. Little book I'd like to recommend other than the Bible on prayer is Ian Bound's book on power through prayer. I recommend it to your reading and application. I've asked Ray's permission to do this. When he gave the prayer hand the other day, in the confession finger, he gave us Psalm 32, 5, and keep it there. It's very good. I've got permission from Ray to ask you to add there 1 John 1, 9. Really, because it's meant so much to me, 1 John 1, 9. See, I'm unlike Ray. I, he, he was only a little sitter. <laughs> he came from a Christian background and praise God for it, but I was a big sinner. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? Underline the all. After I was converted, the devil had many attacked with me and said, Jack, well, what about those sins in the army? What about that? What about that? And I learnt this little verse and got it underlined and learnt that though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool and they'll be as clean as that board. It's good for your own life and it's good when you're counselling other. Thank Neil Ray for allowing us to put 1 John 1 9 in. <laughs> Before I go off prayer, I think it's good for sometimes that we might practice the presence of God. My wife taught me this practicing the presence of God. At 47 years of age, when I was converted, a businessman, a very worldly man, I was converted when I was converted. I began then, after I come to know Christ, to try and put Christ or God on the drawing board. I wanted to walk by sight, not by faith. But May, my dear wife, helped me on this. She said, try practicing the presence of God, Jack. When you wake up in the morning, do you say good morning to the Lord? Well, we should. He's a living saviour, isn't he? He lives by faith in our heart. And I've been doing this for years. Wake up in the morning just on the side of the bed. It's wonderful just to say good morning to the Lord, thanking for your restful night and the beginning of another day. When you go to bed at night after you've had a little time with the Lord, perhaps in the Word and prayer, and you put your head on the pillar, do you say good night to the Lord? I know it's childlike. I know. But you know, except a man be converted and become as a little child, he'll never see the kingdom of God. This has really helped me. And if you don't, if you haven't, done this, try it, it really helps I know it sounds childlike but you know it's wonderful to practice the presence of the Lord alright, the six main basic or essential that should be in the life of a disciple maker is witnessing, being a good witness to Jesus Christ by life and by lip by life, Matthew 5.16 let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
Thy lip, Psalm 172, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And witnessing should be just an overflow of my life. Acts 4.20, for I cannot but speak the things which I have seen and heard. It's not what you know, but who you know, and how well you know him, and how much you long that others might come to know him also. A disciple maker should be a soul winner. John 15 and 8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciple. Jesus said in Matthew 4.19, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. A disciple maker should have compassion for the lost, as Jesus had compassion in Matthew 9.36. Jack, how do I get this compassion? Take on more of the com- compassionate one himself. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Psalm 126, 5 and 6. Listen closely. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Friends, how long is it since you've weeped or shed tears over a lost one? Disciple maker should have the world on his heart. Mark 16 and 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We've been hearing that from John. And John 4.35. Jesus said, Say not ye, there are yet four months and come of the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. People, there's thousands of people around your home and around my home and our churches are going to a crisis eternity and they've never heard the name of Jesus Christ even in Australia, strange as it might seem. So a disciple maker should not only be involved in making disciples but also in developing disciple makers. The question I ask again, are your disciples also making disciples? At the earliest convenience, encourage your disciple to disciple another. You see, we can win somebody to Christ, and this is good, that's addition. But if you teach this person to become a soul winner, then that's multiplication. I wish I had more time to give you some witnessing suggestions, but I haven't. Pray for opportunities every morning in your quiet time. Pray for boldness. Pray for alertness. You get boldness as you sit at the feet of Jesus, said Acts 4.13. Have you ever prayed to be a reaper? John 4.38, Jesus said, I sent you to reap. The first step in, in, in making a disciple is evangelism and being graciously aggressive in evangelism should be one of the marks of a multiplying disciple. And Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. I said the other day, we have not been called to hold the fort but the storm, the heights. If you want a reference on that, it's Matthew 16, 18, sometime. All right, the seventh main basics or essential that should be in the life of a disciple maker is follow up. I'm not going to put any sketches up here or diagrams or so forth. I'll just tell you from my heart what follow up is. (laughs) The definition of follow up Just a couple of points. 
First, it's giving parental care to spiritual babes. Just remember, whoever comes to the Lord is still a spiritual babe. Treat them as, treat them as spiritual babes. And as we used to tell the troops in the early days, burn that shovel that you usually have and shoveling the stuff in. Get out your eyedropper. That's what a babe needs. Second, follow-up is a process of devoting continuous attention to a believer from the time of spiritual birth to an established mature Christian walk. I'll repeat it. Follow-up is a process of devoting continuous attention to a believer from the time of spiritual birth to an established, mature walk. You see, a DM, a disciple maker, invests his life into other people. This is what Paul was talking about in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we're willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. And if the first step in the in disciple-making processes is evangelism, the second step, surely, is follow-up. Billy Graham said that in becoming a Christian, the decision is just 5%. The follow-up is the 95%. And follow-up is not done by something. It's done by some one. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 11. As, as you well know, we dealt with you one by one as a father deals with his children. And there were two types of follow-up. There's group and man-to-man. I can give general information in the group, but each person needs or has specific needs. Therefore, in man-to-man, I can give individual time and attention. I like to give the illustration I'm talking about the two types of follow-up with a shotgun. I can take a shotgun and I see somebody up there and I take a go at them 40, 50 yards away. I may or may not hit you up there, Grace. <laughs> but if I was to take a rifle out, take time, there's a good chance of me hitting that target. And that's the same with follow-up. It's both. It's not either or, it's both. It's both group, small group, and man-to-man. And when you're having man-to-man, as Doug said last night, have some sort of a plan. Okay? And by the way, it's just not knowledge and methods from notebook to notebook. But it's life to life. And so much is caught rather than taught. Proverbs 27.19 says, As in water, face answers to face. So the harder man to man. Doug gave you the five points in follow-up. I won't give it again. Tell them why, show them how, get them started, keep them going, get them to reproduce. But, and a big but, let us remember the disciples are handmade, not mass-produced. Each one is moulded individually by the Spirit of God. Psalm 127.1 Except the Lord build the house, they labour in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. 
It took Jesus Christ two years to train and develop his disciples. Can we do it in less? I'm sure so many of you read Disciples Are Made Not Born by Walt Hendrickson. Let me just read you a couple of sentences on his chapter in Multiplying Your Efforts. I like to quote Walt Hendricks on this because you might think if I quote it, that's from the old fella. This is from the young fella. Okay, everyone has the gifts necessary to be a disciple maker. You may be a teacher, a housewife or an engineer, but irrespective of your vocation, you are also to be a disciple maker. You are not a disciple maker. If you are not a disciple maker, then I would suggest that you do the same thing that Timothy did with Paul or that Peter, James and John did with the Lord Jesus. Make yourself available to a disciple maker who can help you to become a disciple maker. Latch onto them. Learn from them the how to be involved in developing those qualities needed to spiritually reproduce yourself in the lives. Now here are the lives. Here comes the punchline. Every Christian should ask himself two questions. Who is my Paul? Who is the person I'm learning from who is helping me to become a multiplying disciple maker? And secondly, where is my Timothy? Where is the person I am in turn helping to become a disciple maker? I want you to take your pens. I want you to write down. Who's your Paul? Write down the name of your Paul. You may not be able to write a name. Just put, just put a dash. Who's the name of your Paul? Who's the one helping you to become a disciple maker? Who? Have you got one? Write down now also the name of just one Timothy. One Timothy. If you have any problems in these areas, see your navigator representative when you go back to your area. I'm putting the load on them. They could be able to help you. I believe that one of the greatest needs in the, in the navigator ministry, in the work of Australia today, is this. It's for more structured man-to-man at all levels. More structured man-to-man at all levels. More spiritual fathers. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 4.15, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus have we gotten you through the gospel. I'm going out on a limb here because I'm going to share with you something from Chuck Strip Matters, Dear Australian Team Letter, the 23rd of October. This is not confidential information. It goes out to most disciple makers and they should be sharing it with their disciples, which takes everybody in the room. So I'm just reminding you something you've already read or should know. What can we do to multiply disciple makers? Last year we had 17 new DMs. Our goal was 33. Yet 82 disciples were produced. Who made all of the disciples? Are the same disciple makers? Are the same disciple makers making new disciples or are disciples being made mainly from the group fellowship and activities? Are we slipping in our man-to-man? And I would say, as I already said to Chuck, yes, I really believe we're slipping in our man-to-man. You see, in follow-up, we should think of 2 Timothy 2.2 again. Concentrate on your faithful man, won't you? who are able to teach others also. And remember this, quality produces quantity, but quality in itself does not produce quality. 
An intensive ministry will produce an extensive ministry. Therefore, give your life to just a few in depth who in turn will multiply into many. All right. These are the seven main basics of essentials that I believe should be built permanently in the life of every disciple maker. But if you were to ask me, Jack, you got seven there, why don't you pin it down to two? Pin it down to two. I say, okay. <laughs> Quiet time and scripture memory. And if you're doing your scripture memory in the first part of your quiet time, it gets down to one. Quiet time. And friends, as I close, if you ever get spiritually sick, check the basics in your life. Just let me encourage you to stick with the basics so as you can continue to know Christ more and make him known so you can be out there winning the lost and building the saved and be involved in the Great Commission of making disciples and developing disciple makers. I've told you what I believe one of the greatest needs is, one of the greatest needs. Let me tell you the greatest need that I believe is in Australia today just not more disciples, but more disciple makers and more makers of disciple makers. And if we can motivate each one of you to keep on with this job, and we feel this conference has been worthwhile. One verse from me to you, just to leave you encouraged. You can wipe the tears and the blood after we go, if you like. That wasn't intentional. My verse to you is this, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that you know so well. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. There may be some area of the basics which you need help. See you now, Rep, when you go back. I'll be available in the Garen Lounge after lunch if anybody wants to have some time with me. Let's pray.